Happy post-Easter. I hope and trust that Easter is still alive and well and working in your lives. Today we're going to really continue what the Lord has been doing in us, and, and this message is called, How Will You Finish? And, and the answer to that is, how did you live? How did you run? How did you carry out your journey? Because that will indeed decide how you finish. We really started out... Uh, this series with really a challenge from God, and and it was really kind of identified by, you know, it doesn't look the way I want it to look, Bill, and that's because you're really not entering into the fullness of the gospel. You're not entering into what the gospel does, and it's not about what it does in the world. It's about what it does in you, what it does in me. And he's begun to challenge us with what it looks like when the gospel is at work in an individual, in a human being, how powerful it is, how different it is. We're not in a place that we've entered into that. We're not in a place that we are able to really give and to receive as was intended. For so many of us, it's so difficult to give, and I'm talking about sacrificially give. I'm not talking about money, but I'm talking about give of ourselves. Be able to forgive someone who didn't ask you for forgiveness. Be able to not be angry with someone when you really have the right to be angry with them. This is the giving that most of us go bankrupt fairly quickly. Yet as Betty shared in communion, How Jesus, even on the cross, even in the transition to death, he was freely giving. That's a powerful thing. That kind of separates the people of name and then the people of substance, do you see? And so the essence of the message from God, the challenge was, you're really not ready. You're not ready to do and be all that I am creating for you to do and be. You see, it it looks like this in God's challenge. There's a radical perspective change. We talked about that a little bit last week. The people in the Scripture, in the New Testament, uh, Peter and and the people around Peter, they, they really did have a lot of the picture, didn't they? They had their facts right. He was the Messiah. He was the Christ. He was the Son of God. He was the one prophesied about in the Old Testament. They rightly saw him as a king. And not only that, the eternal king, and they rightly saw it as the time. This was the time. All that was true. And yet these same people were going to force him to be king. These same people disappeared when persecution came because it didn't line up. We see in God's challenge, this perspective change, that the clash of life and death was the most epic event in history and that Jesus spent three years with humanity introducing this new perspective, this new way of life, this new way of living, this new reality for all mankind to excel, to be nurtured, to change, to be transformed, to be somebody different. And all of humanity 
and all of creation were at stake in that. And how most people, they find life flawed. They find struggles in life. But they come to kind of accept those flaws as just a natural part of life. You live, you die, you get sick, you get arthritis when you get older, blah, blah, blah. But Jesus didn't see any of that as normal. And he said, I'm here to change that normal. I'm here for you to be raised to a different place of living and believing and being. So the question we were left with, your life summed up by what Christ does through you. Your life will reflect the effects of God's presence in you. That through the work of the new perspective, your life has taken on enormous potential to be a constant violator of death. You will be the subject and the heir of the kingdom of God. And your father will be the king and your family and everlasting life will be your story. So here's what's at stake. Your life will be summed up by what you do here in this life. Will your life produce life or death? Will you be subject to a subject of Satan for a short duration of your life or a subject of Jesus? Who will be over you in death? Will life or death be your eternity? And finally, we saw the idea of being merely human was to not be someone who was following God in this life. This is how Peter came to the place of rebuking Jesus when Jesus talked about his death and resurrection. And the scripture actually says that was inspired by Satan. It's a powerful thing to say our mere humanity is actually under the guise and control of Satan himself. We see the flaws that Jesus would point out, that human perspective sees death as a natural part of life, the conclusion of this life. The scripture would never suggest that. So life is summed up by a brief events of our existence in this world. And on a practical level, our life ends with death when we're in this world and we're a part of a perspective that is not Jesus. That's why he saw death as really unnatural. He saw nothing good or godly in death. And he saw his role was to break the power of death in humanity. And we closed last week with the way to defeat death is to choose life. That death is at work and influencing in every moment of our life. And life is more powerful and able to trumpet. And joy, peace, celebration, and thanksgiving are all a part of true life's effects. Today we're going to pick up on this idea of our race, our run, our journey, your foundation, and the journey forward. We're going to be in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. This will be out of the New Living Translation. 
It starts off, your foundation, I'm, I'm sorry, 2 Peter 1, starting verse 1, I am writing to you who shares the same precious faith we have. This faith was given to you because of the justice and fairness of Jesus Christ, our God and Savior. May God give you more and more grace and peace as you grow in your knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. It's saying that we have been given this foundation of faith and we've given more and more grace as we grow in the knowledge to be transformed and be changed. So we see here that God has a part. God plays a role. And we're going to talk about his part. His part is found there in verse 3. By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. Have you ever wrestled with that verse? Have you ever felt like you had everything you need to live a godly life? Have you ever felt like you're not even completely sure what it would look like to live a godly life? Because most of us look at our own lives and go, do I call it godly? Well, in the purest sense that Jesus died for me, so I'm under the blood of Jesus, yes, I'm godly. Now, does it have a godly appearance, a godly tone? Are, are my actions, my deeds godly? Are my thoughts and my attitudes godly? That could get into a lot of gray. Maybe it's not even gray. But Jesus wants you to know today that it was by a divine power that you and I were given everything from God we need for a godly life. He wants you to know that. And he wants you to not be depressed or disappointed, but he wants you to be excited about that reality. It is important that we buy that peace. In my business... I find that people spend a lot of time trying to figure out they really want to trust God's way of living. I mean, is lying never okay? You know, when I feel like, yeah, probably this is not the road for me. When I have this job opportunity where I must work Sundays. When I have these things that come that I go, well, it's a great opportunity. I need to go for it. Do you think it's God? I don't, I don't know if it's God, but it's a great opportunity. You see, we want to push the boundaries of what God has called us to do and be as it serves us. We want to question, God, do I really have to be in church? I mean, really. God, do I really have to do that? God, can I never do this? I mean, God, can't I finish well and do this? 
We want to bargain. We want to deal. We want some authority to write it out a little bit different. God, do I have any creative license with my life? So I'm going to give us a little bit of example just to continue today, the spirit of today, we are now going to play a video game. I know, it happens all the time in church, doesn't it? <clears throat> all right, uh, if you, can we move this to the center? Okay, we're stopping right there. All right, so if you can't see the screen, reposition yourself. I think we're okay. Just, uh, you know, figure it out. Pull, pull one three down a little bit. Or maybe it's this one right here, whatever this one is. Oh. All right, so, um, you know, the, the thing I always like about video games, and to be honest with you, I don't know that I've ever played a video game, okay? I probably don't have the patience for it. But I find it interesting. And I find it interesting because there are rules, and there are rules to success. And nobody questions the rules. Their quest is just to learn them so they can win the game. The quest is not to change the rules. The quest is to win the game, to get to another level. With God, we're far more interested in why don't we stop, not, not necessarily follow. Let's think about changing the rules a little bit. So, uh, what we're going to do is we're going to have somebody play the game. This is going to be Karina. Uh, she is going to play the game. Um, and she is not, as uh, my understanding, astute at the rules of this is Super Mario World. We can. All right, so this is her ability to follow the rules of the game. Okay. It, it's not important at this point, is it? <laughs> what is the objective here? To get to the end. You guys all know this. See, somebody said, eat the apples. See, you got to know to eat the apples, don't you? Now, what did you jump up and eat right there? I know. You know, the sad part for me is, I don't know if she's doing good or bad. But she's still alive, so that says something. The little guy hadn't eaten her. Uh-oh. Okay. 
You know, you got to know what to eat. You got to know where to get your health. You got to know how to survive. You got to know what is the enemy and what isn't. All right, so now Dylan, who has played this game at least twice in his life, Now, all he's doing is following the rules, and he's practicing, or has practiced. Ooh. See, that's how you take out the enemy in the spirit. Okay. <clears throat> okay, now we can turn that off. You guys can talk to Dylan about playing afterwards if, you, if you're reminiscing. And we will do that. Next time we have a video game and a sermon, we will get your choice. But you'll have to remind me. <clears throat> you see, the way, if you want to win, if you want to finish well, then you learn the rules and you practice them. I, I want you to understand, this is not a video game concept. This is a life concept. This is a human slash God concept. The idea of the church that we receive Christ and somehow we are born again into a sinless framework where we are bulletproof and trials don't affect us and all the stuff that's broken and wrong with you is now neutralized and now you live a godly life how many have found that is just not true? I find I am just as capable of being just as dark and wicked after I receive the power of the gospel. And it's in this text we see why that is true. You see, if I get the video game, but I never embrace the rules... I'm just going to do it my way. I don't want to jump over that thing. Okay, well, then you're going to die every time you run into it. 
And it doesn't matter how long you live and how many times you run into that thing, you are going to die. And we can stop operating with God. We can stop working with God. We can question God. We can challenge God. We can do all we want. But what God is trying to show us is there is a way to live life and to thrive in that life, this life. And if you will embrace that, and if you will practice that, what you will find is it will change everything. This is God's part. In verse 3 again, by his divine power, he's given us everything we need to win that game, to win your life. He's given you everything you need. We have received it all. How? By coming to know him, by stepping into the reality of faith, by moving into relationship with Jesus. We have done it by coming to know him, the one who called us by himself to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. So you see, that's his part. He calls you through his glorious excellence. And he calls you to himself. And he calls you into this relationship of faith. And it's in that place that now you have a foundation to succeed. We read on. Verse 4, and because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable us, enable you to share his divine nature, escape the world's corruption caused by human desire. I'm going to sum that up in the title that we have, The Power to Change. It's the power to be different. I mean, in here. Not hit different keystrokes every now and then, but to be different. To be operating from a new and a glorious and a marvelous substance called you. To be different. Now, it speaks of these promises. But they're not future promises. When it talks about promises, it's it's talking about like a, a promissory note would be. It is in play for you. Think about it. When you're in heaven, you don't need that promise, do you? Once you're in heaven and you're free from sin, its effects in the world around you completely, you don't really need those. We need them now. So on God's part, here's what he does. Entering into faith, it's the beginning. It's the beginning of the journey. We enter into faith. That's his work in us. The second second part is faith is enough to start. I want you to hear that. Faith is enough to start. It's enough to start. Faith must produce in you. It must produce godliness in you. 
or it remains a base of faith. It just remains a base of faith. It's got to produce in you. It will not be enough for you to finish well. Now, if you're sitting there going, faith has to be enough, Bill. Faith has to be enough. I'm uncomfortable with your statement. I challenge your statement. And here's what I want to say. What the, what the Scripture is describing here is that there is a faith that we enter into. It is the foundation of our relationship with Jesus. And it's still faith that carries us forward. But it is the power and it is the action within that faith that produces more. So if you leave that faith just as a foundation, it won't serve you. And you'll see that in this text. And the third thing he does is the great and precious promises are not for the future, but for the interim time right now. Those promises are like this. They say, you have the faith. The faith is in me. I am at work in you. And I know how to do it. And I'm going to show you the way. And I'm going to give you the rules. And I am going to change you along the way. Stay focused on me. I feel like so often God is doing this with me. He calls me. You know, he calls me again. He puts his hands like here to hold my face to try to make eye contact with me. And I'm turning my head this way. And sometimes I'm doing it knowingly. I don't want to look him in the eyes. You know why? Because he wants to change me. Because he wants to talk with me. Because he wants to challenge my behavior. Why are you so angry, Bill? Why are you so angry? Do you know, I'm not the first person he said that to. I'm not the first person that he grabs by the cheeks and says, why are you so angry? You know how I know that? That's what he said to Cain. Just before Cain killed his brother. Cain, why are you so angry? What he tells Cain is, Cain, sin is crouching at your door, and it wants to get me, and you have to resist that. Do you hear that fatherly counsel? Do you hear it? Isn't it marvelous? That's what he does for you and I. That's the promise. He will never shrink away from putting his hands on your face. But he will never make you listen to him. So that's his part. We look on, 2 Peter, starting in verse 5. The conclusion Peter gives, in view of all this, in view of all of this that God has put in play for you, make every effort to respond to God's promises. You see that? Make every effort. That's a declaration. Make every effort to stand into that that he's done for you, to take your place of who are you going to be. Make every effort to respond to God's promises. Supplement your faith with generous provision 
of moral excellence, and moral excellence with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, self-control with patient endurance, and patient endurance with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love for everyone. You hear that? Supplement your faith with. You hear how we just added to faith? Do you think that's really important? Do you think brotherly love is important? Do you think patience is important? Do you think morality is important? I mean, really, we have faith. God says, you bet it is. The faith is what makes all of that possible. The faith is what makes that stuff now possible for you and I. You see, before we have that faith, these things are not ours to own. They're not ours to have and possess, to be us. But now with faith, that opportunity is mine. But I have to respond to it. Supplement your faith. Looking at it again, supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence. Moral excellence with knowledge, knowledge with self-control. You're adding pieces to your faith. You're using that faith as the springboard. And those promises that are at work in you, that are, that are at, at work to produce in you, you've got faith, this foundation, and the promises at work, and this is what it produces. Self-control. Patient endurance, godliness, brotherly affection, love for everyone. You remember how the text started? God has given you everything you need to be that person. Everything you need. It's all there. It's all here, everything you need. So our part, I must respond. I have to respond to it. I have to move into it. I have to operate and practice the promises, adding to the foundation of faith. Dylan, Karina, all of us, we have to operate in the rules, and we have to practice the rules. If you want to succeed at Mario, Super Mario World, or whatever. <laughs> I should at least memorize that before I get up and preach on it, right? You see, you got to know it, but you got to practice it. I don't think that forgiveness, I don't think that reaching for something over resentment is natural for any of us but it can be. It can be. Dylan was telling me that you can go on YouTube and you can see, what do you call those guys? Speedrunners. They just go through this game like lightning. God is looking to produce speedrunners. People who know the substance of what he's about 
who take that foundation of faith and they begin to seriously engage the promises of heaven that for most of us lie unused within us. And he says, if you walk with me, if you practice what I have given you, you will be a God speed runner. And your knee-jerk reaction will be exactly like mine. You realize that's his promise? That's the promise. The promise is that you too can be that godly person. Not because you, you know, you sewed your mouth shut so you can't say a bad word. Not because you burned your eyes out so that you won't lust for someone. But because inside of you something has been changed through the practice of the promises in the, in the power of faith. And you have become different. I must respond. I must be willing to operate and practice the promises adding to the foundation of faith because that is how you win the game. I can spend most of my life questioning why they seem unfair, why good people can have terrible tragedy and struggle. I can spend all of my life pondering, wondering, questioning. You can spend your days looking at the creature that gobbles you up and wonder, why? Why is that thing that's smaller than me can gobble me up? It's not right. Or you can learn that that's the way it is. You can learn that that's the truth. God is looking for people and building a people who will trust him. We become different. Generous provision of moral excellence, moral excellence with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, patient endurance, Godliness, brotherly affection, love for everyone. Does this list sound a little familiar to you? Do you realize it doesn't say to be a, a, a speed runner with God, read your Bible for an hour every day, pray an hour every day, fast once a week, give to the poor, uh, serve at church three days a week, uh, do all these things. It doesn't say any of that, does it? Here's what it talks about right here. It talks about this. If you become this, all that will happen exactly the way it's supposed to. You know, in church for years, I've heard the fight between being and doing. A lot of people want to give up doing to be the being. And a lot of people who are doers look down on the people who are beers. What God would say is, if you really belong to me and we're changing like this, you and I, those become really dumb questions. 
that becomes the stuff that mere humans mess with. That's a mere human challenge. Am I a doer? Am I a beer? God would go, what? God would say, well, so what, what am I? Am I a doer? Am I a beer? And say, you know what I am? I'm God. That's who I am. He even shortened it for us. I am. Isn't that cool how he did that? I am a doer. I am a beer. No, I am. And now, by the power of faith and the precious promises I give you, I want you to be an I am. Isn't that what he's called you to be, an I am? Do, be, I am. Yes, we've seen that list before, or a similar list. We look at Galatians 5, 22, 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness. Forbearance is like patience. Uh, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. It's a very similar list. Do you see that? And it calls it the fruit of the Spirit. It calls it the result of walking in the Spirit, the result of being in the Spirit. It's the same kind of list. It's still not talking about stuff outside of you changing and me changing. You see how serious the Scripture is that us being different on the inside is not necessarily an option. That's what God's intention is. That's what he's after. For him, that's the baseline. He knows we don't start there. But what he says is, make no mistake, I've made a way so you can get there. I'm not expecting you to start there. But I am expecting you to look that way and earnestly start your journey. That's my expectation of you. That's what he paid for. I think many of us, you ever buy those coupon books, like from the school, the band or something? It's about this thick. It's got like $35,000 worth of coupons in it. You ever buy that and you put it under the seat of your car and then you throw it away next year? When you buy another one, if you never used a coupon out of that thing so far? I think that's how we treat the promises of God. They're under the seat, ready to go. I forget about it every time I go to El Toro. You know, I forget about it. When I go get the lube on the car or something, I forget about it. And then a year goes by. And then I, they, they want to sell me another one. I go, well, shoot, man, I didn't use the last one. But you don't want to be a jerk, so you want to buy it from the kid. So I buy it. I put it under the seat. Next year, I'll buy another one. You see, the promises of God and us moving into those will determine how we finish. It'll determine how we finish. Going after your part 
me going after my part. We continue on, verse 8 in 2 Peter chapter 1. The more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that a great promise? The more you grow, you hear that? You're going to grow in this. Respond. Be ready to grow. Embrace. Seriously embrace the promises. Seriously embrace that Jesus has paid for this, and it's ours to move into. And the more you grow in that, that you are really going to be productive. You're going to be useful. You will produce the effects of God everywhere you go. You will experience the wonder and the joy of the presence of God in your everyday life. That's what you'll get. That's the promise. That's the promise. So often, we look at this as a kind of a high-risk decision you know, to follow God with all of our might. God sees it the other way around. But the scripture goes one step further. If you neglect your part, if you neglect your part, it has a very different effect. Verse 9, but those who fail to develop in this way, do you hear that? Those who fail to develop that base foundation of faith, they are short-sighted or blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their old sins. You realize how short-sighted, how dark we can become, even people of faith. Even people of faith. This is talking about a person with a foundation of faith. That's what this is talking about. Forget the value of your own salvation. It happens all the time. I put our list back up at the bottom. What's at stake? So will your life be summed up by what you get here in this life? Will it just be jobs you got, relationships you got, money you got, toys, property? Will that be it? Do you realize none of those were the promise? None of it. We live our life with that as such a priority. But none of it is the promise. Will your life produce life or death? Meaning, will it produce the things of God or will it just produce things? Do you realize these two are still in play? These are still possible to end our life with a base foundation of faith and these true to be, two to be sadly true. Will you be a subject of Satan for the short duration of your life? Will you be under his influence? Will you be merely human? 
very possible. We see this life, this choice, as such a risk. Like I said, we, we see it as, wow, can I really make that decision to follow Christ like that? I mean, wow, it's just like all out. I mean, like a religious person. Really? Man, that's big. That's huge. What about my friends? What about my family? You know, it's just, it's a big change. I don't know. You can question the rules. We see it as such a sacrifice to think of giving up the things of the world. I'm not talking about you know, grossly immoral things. I'm talking about just the way we like to do it. The rules that we have put in place. But Jesus would say this perspective offers abundant life and no risk. He would challenge. We are absolutely wrong. That what he offers is joy, peace. What he offers is harmony in our soul. What he offers is everything. What he offers is a life without regret. What we see as sacrifice, he suggests it will be the best freedom you ever had. This is what Jesus offers you today. What he offers. And it's more than just a namesake foundation of faith. He offers you more than that. What he would say is your Christian life has been cheated. If, if that's all you've had to enjoy, What he offers to you today is the whole thing, everything. He wants you to know the promises are yours. They're all yours. He doesn't stand in judgment over who you are, what you've done, what you haven't done, how you've lived in your faith or not lived in your faith. What he does today is stands and says, there is more for you. And if you will trust me, you'll be able to run through your game. And the bad things won't make you fall and stumble like they do right now. And the temptations won't wreck you like it does right now. And the loneliness that haunts you will be subdued turned into something powerful and full of life. It's a different perspective, isn't it? 
but it's the one he offers. And he offers it without any strings attached. He says in the scripture, Jesus says, take my yoke, learn of me. What is he saying? Take my rules, practice them. Why does he say that? He says, because my burden is light. Isn't that crazy? That's what he says. Take my ways, my rules, learn them, practice them. You're going to find it's the lightest you've ever been. If you would stand.